Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey guys, it's Kayla. I'm so happy you're able to join us today because we are all still so directionally challenged. We thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s, but surprise, we don't. And that's okay. It really is okay. What do you do when you experience success at a young age? And then with that success comes massive anxiety. And then it becomes a vicious cycle. The more successful you become, the more doubts and anxiety creep in. Well, talk about that and so much more today with my guest, Jeremy Fall. Jeremy is a first-generation American. He is on the Forbes 30 Under 30 in 2020. He is a restauranteur. He is a creator. He is a creative. He is someone who thinks outside the box, and I am so grateful to have had the conversation with him. He is fascinating and wildly interesting, and I think you will benefit so much from listening to this interview with him. He is honest and raw and real. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Jeremy Fall. 
And I am here with Jeremy Fall. Jeremy, I'm really excited to interview you today. I think you are wildly creative and have found such success by allowing yourself to have these thoughts and ideas that most of the world would deem crazy. But you found a way to find this creative genius and harness it and into real life ideas. And it hasn't been an easy journey. You have spent your life masking little Jeremy who grew up blocks from Skid Row downtown. Before we get into all of that, I want to take you to one of the key moments in your life when you were 23 years old. Your first pop-up bar, Genesis, opened. Can you talk to us about the creation of that? Because I want our listeners to understand what successful thinking looks like when it's outside the box. And I think it's really important to see that when you find the right people and you work really fucking hard, that things can fall into place. Yeah, no. So so Genesis was actually my first bar pop-up, if you will. It was supposed to be six weeks and then it ended up being six months, if I remember correctly. But essentially... I found an attic in Hollywood. I had a friend who became my business partner at uh, at the time who was running a bar called Sassafras in Hollywood, which was a New Orleans-style bar. Which I loved, and by above, the way. I thought that was such yeah. a fun theme. <laughs> yeah, and, and above that, there was uh, a, an attic that was unused. And so, you know, I had this idea to do a nightclub, being from Los Angeles, there's a stereotype that we're very much this like bottle service, you know, Hollywood culture, which there is some of that, but I'm born and raised here. And, you know, there's a there's a, a different type of culture that I'm used to. But I felt the one thing that was missing was this almost like a, a lawless, a place that I felt lawless where people can just let loose. Uh, no one would get priorities in lines. Everyone had to wait in line. There was It was a time during cocktail culture was booming. I wanted to do no cocktails, just do regular drinks that people could have. And from there, you know, decided to do this pop-up and, and it did very well. It was very grassroots. You know, we, we spent, I think it was like $50,000 to outfit the place, which is nothing in terms of uh, building a venue. And I got the guys to to cover it since it was part of their, you know, just part of their attic. And we built this very successful place. And I think a lot of it was because I, you know, it, it was my first place that was mine and I really had no fears at all. Like I had no preconceived notions. It was felt really raw and authentic. I could just do whatever the fuck I wanted. And there's something that's pretty refreshing about that. It's something that I haven't necessarily felt, I would say, since then, being able to do things without thinking of PR yeah. and brand and, and all these things where, you know, there's there's a really nice aspect to your first venture when it comes to these things. Yeah. And you're able to just really not think and just do. And I think that was that was what made it magical. Do you think age has anything to do with that? Because there is something about being so young and having such a huge opportunity that even if you fail, like you still have the rest of your life to prove yourself. I don't know. There's something now the older I get where I feel like, you know, there's more pressure the older you get because I guess there's less time and you should have things figured out by then. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a, that's a good question, because I mean, I feel like if I had who knows if I had started when I was 40 or 50, mm -hmm. who knows? May, maybe I mean, you might. Yeah. Be, I mean, I was I was 23 turning 24. So I was pretty young, very young to have all of that responsibility ten. on your shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. That was 10 years ago. But <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's it's it, it definitely. But I think I, I it's definitely a little bit of naivete. 
I think mixed with like some level of insanity, I really do think that you need to have, you need to be able to think that you can do anything. Yeah. And I think that that might be sociopathic behavior. I'm not sure, but you need to essentially be able to think that you can just do anything and not look back. I think you are just like a wildly creative person who has ideas that I really want to share with our listeners. There's this really cool idea of paper clipping, which is how your brain processes information and works and creates your creations. You're just able to combine different ideas to make these unconventional successes work. Can you break down that for our listeners so they understand what it is? I've always thought that you know, innovation in general is not necessarily reinventing the wheel. I think sometimes putting two things together makes something greater than it can be. You know, examples are off the top of my head, I would say Andy Warhol, definitely one of them, you know, taking a Campbell's soup can and then recreating it. You know, that's like a very, like, if you think about it, like it's a painting of a Campbell's soup can, right? Like, and that's one of the most iconic you know, art pieces in the world, right? Or that whole collection is, you know, if, if you, the idea of paper clipping is taking two things, right? So for me, breakfast for dinner was one of them. Spiked cereal milk is one of them, you know, taking the, 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 the milk at the bottom of the cereal bowl that has that taste that we're accustomed to adding liquor to it. Right. And just like making a cocktail. I mean, I, I mean, if you look at Kanye, I don't know if we're still allowed to talk about Kanye, but if you look at Kanye, like most of his music was, is all like samples, you know? And it's like, you can like pull a sample from like Etta James and like redo it. It's just like, if you look at that, it's, I mean, sometimes like you don't have to reinvent the wheel. I I do actually think that as humans, we like what's familiar Mm. and just elevated versions or new versions of what we already know. I don't think we necessarily always want something completely new. I think that it's okay to still play. It's thinking outside the box within a box. Wow. Well, I want to bring up, you talked about your breakfast for dinner idea. And obviously, you know, for those who don't know, that is a reference to your restaurant Nighthawk, which was really one of the most pivotal parts in your career. But you talk about, and I really appreciate how raw and honest you get in your memoir, Falling Upwards. But you talk all about how you were checking all these boxes that young Jeremy set for himself. And at already at a young age in your 20s, you almost all of your boxes were being checked off. But there was this unseen battle inside of you and going full force into your career, mental health never entered the picture. And I just think that's fascinating to be able to check off all those boxes at such a young age. And, you know, it wasn't until you you had, I guess, I don't know if you would co- say it was a failure or not, but your restaurant, The King Eddie, that was downtown, that ended up not necessarily working out. For you personally, you realized a change needed to happen. Yeah, I almost got murdered there. So, yeah. <laughs> Tell us that story. Well, the, so, so the King Eddie is like, is an unbelievable bar. It's one of the, I think at, at one point it was either like the oldest running dive bar in um, in the U.S. or something like, but iconic bar off of Skid Row, actually a few blocks where I grew up from. My former business partner and I decided to take it over and restore it more to what it was originally. And, you know, this was, this was at a time where this would have, this was my third venue. I had opened two, I'd opened Genesis, I'd opened Golden Box and an 80s grungy disco. That was my second place, you know, so I had, I had definitely become like Mr. Hollywood for like better word in a lot of ways, even though I thought I was pretty anti-Hollywood, it was still like, I was still this nightlife 
person, you know? And so when I went to that, it was not well received at all to say the least. So people would write like rest in peace, Jeremy fall on the walls and like all these different things. Like I would get assaulted at work and stuff. So I was just like, you know, I'm like 25. I think at this point, I'm just like, I don't know if I really should be dealing with this right now. But so I ended up, you know, like figuring something out where like, I didn't have to go there anymore for the time that it lasted. And and then eventually divested my interest. But you know, it's, it's, whatever you do is you get painted a certain way publicly. You know, these are things like I learned along the way of like, you know, I, I was new to media and being in the press and all these different things. So, you know, it's, it's something that I had to get used to. And I think that going back to what we're saying about when you do the first thing, you can do things completely raw and not think of, any specifics and just do what you feel like that. That's probably when I started really realizing that like the way I was thinking was definitely modified to like what people were going to think if it made sense for the brand, if it was part of the story and these like, you know, year plans and all this shit. So like, I would say that, you know, I wasn't able to do just whatever I wanted anymore at that point where it felt that way anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is really where everything came to a head because you had done, spent years and years having this success and then also keep, keeping up this like, as you call it, trust fund kid appearance. And then having all of these highly successful restaurants and bars come out. Everybody knew your name in the press. And and then you end up opening this place downtown, just blocks from Skid Row. That could not have been easy. That had to have been, you know, all of everything you were kind of masking coming to a full head. And you realized you didn't want to do nightlife anymore. Can you talk to us about what that feels like at such a young age to have such success and then realizing, okay, no, I'm actually going to pivot completely out of this. This is not making me happy. Yeah. It's, it's actually funny. The whole trust fund thing. Like I still get, I still some, well, it's actually not that much anymore, but people, they're still like, they assume you're a trust fund kid. Yeah. Which is like really funny. I grew up with a single mom, you know, living like off skid row. So I don't know about that, but yeah. And then, I mean, now I don't really get that anymore. People are, you know, cause I've had like an exit with my restaurants and, you know, I sold all my restaurants in 2019. So like now that people don't really say that anymore, but, but I think it was, yeah, it's interesting. Cause at the time, I mean, who the fuck is like 24, 25 opening three bars, you know? Right. Like if you think about right. it, it's like, you know, that what else are you going to assume than just like come from money? Talk to our listeners a little bit about this because you address it significantly in the book, how you did feel like you had to keep up this appearance of being a trust fund kid because people automatically assumed it. And so, I mean, you know, you're not going to come right out and be like, actually, I have the exact opposite growing, you know, life growing up. And you're just going to kind of let people assume what they want to assume. But at some point, that's got to be really hard to keep up or handle. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the thing is, you know, I never wanted this like rags to riches story. Like, you know, that's not how I really feel. Like, you know, like people have these things like they start from the bottom, whatever. And like, yeah, sure. Like I did technically, but like, it's not something I've ever like really thought to make part of my story. People, you know, I do like trolling people a lot though. That is something I've been doing forever. So when people thought the trust fund thing was real. I did enjoy trolling them and letting them believe that. I probably still would today. (laughs) But I mean, you know, for me, it was like, I wanted my identity to be about what I was doing. I didn't care if it was like, I didn't, I didn't want to be successful because I came from far. 
yeah. or successful or or quote unquote not successful because I came from money. I mean, then either or, you know, didn't feel accurate. So so yeah. So I just you know I just wanted to like what I did to speak for itself. But you know I started really overthinking like everything I was doing and my success and my image and everything like that came. Like that started coming in like pretty strongly by like 2016 when I was training 25, 20. I mean, it came in before, but it started becoming pretty strongly. 2016 is when I opened Nighthawk, my first restaurant, the, the breakfast for dinner place. So it, it was interesting because I did the bars and I started caring. I, I stopped getting to nightlife because it was really fucking with my mental health, you know, and I, I, I basically decided to like pivot into restaurants. You know, I, I sold my share. I got out of my my shares with my partners in, in the bars. And then I went into, into restaurants. When I did Nighthawk, the first one, the first one was a pop-up six months, very similar to like what we do at Genesis. So pop-up for six months. And then I opened a permanent one in Venice. So I almost had that lawless kind of feeling again that I was describing where I was just like, fuck it. Like, you know, there's a huge stigma with nightlife people opening restaurants. Like, you you're not taken seriously in the culinary space because you're a nightlife person. And then everyone assumes that you're going to build Tao or like catch or whatever it is. So I was like, you know, I, I, there was like articles that were like, there's so funny thing about how narrow minded people are, but I think there was an LA weekly article where, where this lady wrote like, is, is Nighthawk a bar or a restaurant? It can't make up its mind. It's like all this. Stuff. And I was like, wow, that's, it must be nice to live life thinking that narrow-mindedly. But, you know, like all these different things. And like, and then it became a an international sensation where like my voice was like dubbed in Japanese and like, you know, people were sending me messages from Tokyo and all over the world saying like they heard of this restaurant and this viral breakfast for dinner spot and then it, it really kicked off this cereal trend that still happens today there's so many places now that do spike cereal milk and you know like all these different things so you know it, it became like a really interesting cultural phenomenon and for you know for like i guess for lack of better lack of a better word i i just redid what i had done the first time it's like i kind of just did where the fuck i wanted and then Nighthawk became a permanent restaurant in Venice. And then I opened 13 other restaurants after that. And I fell back into the all different concepts. Well, most of them different concepts. But I fell back into the caring whatever. That's that was even more so there, caring what everyone thinks. Like, what's the next move? The next move has to be calculated. I was doing, I was creating things for other people, not for myself. As we grew to like 350 employees we were just everything was about you know how to scale and hr and paperwork and i was like jesus christ this is you know it's like not <laughs> what you want and not what how you work yeah. really it sounds like you love and attributed the beginnings of your success to what became known as your anxiety disorder at the time you didn't know that's what it was yeah hey guys we're gonna take a quick break we'll be right back in just a minute One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. we're back. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, discovering that that's something that you had been going through and feeling, but then also not necessarily wanting to, I guess, solve the problem because you really attributed so much of your success and creativity to that anxiety disorder? Yes. So, yeah, I think the mental health, I think mental health was definitely like a superpower for me, mental illness, I should say, a superpower for me. So, you know, I think because of my anxiety disorder and uh, depression and, you know, whatever else I have, I guess, that those things served as fuel, as overthinking everything, thinking differently. I mean, you know, and in, in when you're building a restaurant, there's so many different moving parts mm-hmm. like – you know, hooks, the purse hooks under the bar and like this has to work with this and the chefs have to align with these people and these motherfuckers have to do this shit. It's like, you're, you're just like 
there's so many million parts. Like if you don't have anxiety, I don't know how you can remember all of it. You know, even with checklists, right. like, there's always things that pop up. Just so our listeners understand, like you would be out with your friends on not on the clock at all. And you would be analyzing in your head what type of purse hooks you would want under the table. And do you want it to be an S hook? Do you want it to be? And how how far should it be from the table? I mean, there the, uh, the details, the attention to detail that you put in to everything in everything you do is phenomenal. And that is why you've been so successful. And I can understand why you would absolutely love yourself for having all of that. But at some point, it just became too much to process and handle on your own. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think somewhere along the way, things got lost and it really became about accolades and, you know, press and headlines and and all these different things, which was not originally what I sought out to do. You know, I don't think anyone gets in like the hospitality industry for maybe now they do, but like at the time, like, you know, celebrity chefs were like sort of new, still a new concept. Like it was, it was new. Like there's, you know, still to this day, I feel like their food lacks so much innovation. Like not in the sense of like the food itself. I, I think like conceptually, I mean, food media, like the food is like the one industry that hasn't really been innovated in terms of like how it's positioned in culture. Like, you know, music is always constantly evolving. I mean, the most innovation we had in the food space was delivery apps. Like I would say, which obviously is a big innovation, but like it was something that's been existing forever. We just got more of them, you know? And it's like, there's, it's something that we do every day. And the fact that, like, there are thousands of streetwear brands and brands in general that people can subscribe to from, like, a lifestyle standpoint and, like, a a mission standpoint, but, like, you can't really think of a lot of food lifestyle brands to me is, like, insane, and it's something that we do every day, right? Like, why isn't there something that the way people, you know, identify or connect to Supreme, like, why isn't that exist in the food world, you know, it's like stuff like that when I think about it. Is that where you think the next innovation is? I think so. I think that I think that there's like it's so far because I I came up with an idea in 2020 and I told myself, like, you know, wait three years and see if this is still relevant. And that idea is, is still relevant. relevant exactly as it was three years ago. And I'm like. That's not good. Like, I mean, it's good for me. It's not, but like it shows that the industry is like, like people open restaurants, they close them, they do cuisines, you know, they are inspired by their culture, which is great. By the way, I'm not saying any of that is bad. I think that that's great, but we haven't seen much innovation outside of just like, okay, they're doing, you know, coastal Italian with Korean influence. They're doing this, like we see the same shit over and over again. That's just, it's Sure, it's it's different, but it's not culturally different that it's going to make an impact in terms of like how it, you know, makes people think about their everyday lives. Right. Like that to me is like an interesting thing. I mean, we've had the same cookware forever. There's like there's same cookware, the same food media, the same like it's the same shit. Like when you think of music, like music is just it's changing every day. It's like that we went from. Yeah, we went from downloading illegally to streaming to, I mean, Playboy Cardi's music gets consumed by people 
mostly through leaks, where his music gets leaked. There's 10,000 people on Discord that'll come together and pay a dollar to the hacker if the bounty's like $10,000 and then get a leaks. Like, it's fucking insane. I mean, and, and obviously, like, just to think culturally, like, I mean, we get people that line up for donuts for like an hour, two hours, three hours, whatever, a hot chicken. Like, sure, we've gotten that. And there is hype culture around food for sure. Mm-hmm. But what else? So it's really interesting. It seems like you're almost uh, exasperated with your fellow colleagues that they haven't come up with more ideas. And even when you do have an idea, it's almost an unbearable weight upon you of, okay, I guess no one else is going to come up with this, so I got to do it kind of feeling, which is such a fascinating mentality. Well, okay. I don't want to sound arrogant. No, but, okay. But okay. Like, you didn't say that though. I did. I'm really being being honest because you're not arrogant in your book at all, but it, it does feel like there's a, there is a little bit of like w- waiting for someone else to think of the idea. And then when, when you, once you come up with it, you're like, really? Okay. I guess I got to do it. I mean, that's, that's me putting that in your mouth, not you. Well, no, for sure. For sure. I mean, the way, yeah, I mean, look, the way I think is probably like why I still have a job. Right. Because I don't think that I'm the guy who makes like the world's best pork belly. Like that's not what I ever sought out to do. I think it's it's an interesting time. I think that seeing that, you know, you look at Food Network, which is regardless, still the leading food media. I mean, there's like a bunch of you know, obviously it's gone down over the years, but it still is what people think of. But it doesn't feel creative. And food is is wildly creative. It was, I mean, it was back then, but it's, mm. it's the same. We see the same things. I mean, there's yeah. a point where the generation that is watching those shows is going to actually die like huh. of old age. Like I'm serious. Yeah. Like, it's like, actually like, why is it like that? Like why, first of all, why, you know, why is like, why does it have to be like that? It's just a recycling of chefs, like the same people. I don't understand. And by the way, the people that are on there are like friends of mine. So I'm not like saying, and these are, and these are things that I tell them too. Like, it's not like, you know, it's just, it's interesting. But I think, I think that is the key to a really good artist is being able to talk to your colleagues who are in the same business, who have success and really be honest with each other about your feedback and where you want to go next and where they think you should go next and having and being open to those conversations of constructive criticism and not necessarily even though you're wildly successful feeling like you know your opinion is the only way and whatever you think is the way you should go because I think collaboration is where true genius kind of happens and it goes back to your paper clipping where you take one thing and another and combine them and I'm wondering where you think where do you think the the what's the next step for not just the food network on television, but for food in general? OK, we developed food apps. What's next for food in general? Yeah. Without giving away your awesome idea that I'm sure we'll see a year from now. I'm, I've always I've never been worried about giving ideas out. I think it's execution, it's execution that matters. Huh. Look what Tony Hawk did to skateboarding. Yeah. Right. Tony Hawk made skateboarding this like games, merch, like if you don't care about skateboarding you know who tony hawk is and you'll probably like tony hawk because he's a very fantastic man look what he did to skateboarding i mean who would have thought that something so specific would have become so mainstream i mean i mean look what michael jordan did to the world i mean that's an even bigger example but it's like even if you don't care about basketball or sports you probably still love michael jordan for sure right it's like when you look at that it's like it's it was never about the sport. 
for Michael Jordan, yes, he's like the you know, arguably the best player of all time. So it is about sport in that sense. But like the brand around it was because it's this idea of being the best and being the best you can be and fighting and being at the top, right? And like there's there's something interesting there. I mean, I I have a theory that I've talked about before that as time passes, people are putting faith aside more and more. And it doesn't mean that there aren't religious people. There clearly are. Yeah. I think people are putting faith aside more and more, and they're open to, like, I think we're human vacuums after all. I think we're vacuums of subscription, and people are willing to subscribe to things that feel bigger than them and that that almost feel like a, a loose set of beliefs that they're going to subscribe to and believe in. And... That's how we see these big cultural phenomenons happen. Like, if you think about it, Bitcoin has kind of a religious factor to it. It feels like it got dropped down the middle. Like, you know, no one knows who created Bitcoin. Like, it's an anonymous. Wow. I've just, yes, I did know that, but I, I've never thought of it this way. This is really Yeah, it just appeared. It just appeared in the middle of, like, the earth and it, like, complete, you know, is fucking up the bank system, which I think is really cool, you know, and it's like people are, you know, people are subscribing to this set of beliefs of like, you know, it comes after 2008 and everyone hates banks and financial institutions, this idea of decentralization and financial freedom and the fact that we can own our own shit. And like, that's that belief system. As much as I hate the man, that's what MAGA is for Trump. Like MAGA is this, like the reason why he's, one is because he was the only president during that election that made it as much as you would think it was all about him. He made it about something greater than him. He made it about this set of beliefs that was making America great again. And it, and it's like this, and he's the messenger for this. I didn't know America was bad before that. Like, and I don't think he made it great. So I just, I, you know, I'm just like, like when you think of that hope for Obama, his whole campaign is hope. Like, it's a set of beliefs. I even think Apple has that, like with thinking differently. Like when we subscribe to Apple, like a lot of times, and that's why I think a lot of these like nerds are still very big Microsoft people. And there's specific reasons because they're subscribing to the technology and people who like Apple are subscribing to, you know, this idea of thinking differently and innovation and creativity. And like you walk into a store and it just feels inspiring and that's what they've been doing, you know? And it's like, I think that we look to subscribe to those things. Mm. And to me, I'm like, food is something that makes us survive and that we do every day. Like, why isn't there the equivalent for that? Like, it seems like much less of a stretch than fucking yeah, computers. Yeah, I see what you mean. But I'm wondering, what is that then? What does that mean? What's the next step for them? Or what do you think? I mean, listen, like, it feels like you've been on the precipice of guiding the food world forward. And so having admittedly had a lull in the food space, what do we do next? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it depends how you look at it. I think, one, you know, we're starting to see this, this whole movement with organic and sustainability. Like that is the closest thing I would say in terms of subscribing to better eating, right? The problem is, in my opinion, I don't think I've actually talked about this before on a podcast, but in my opinion, it's too Microsoft right now. It's mm. too technical. It's too, it's not attractive to eat. 
like people are like you'll see this bag of chips or whatever it is that are it's like always brown and green and it's always like all it pushes is like organic this many grams of this and this and this it's very technical like right now sustainable organic eating is very technical it's not fun yeah it does and a feel lot of difficult. times people want fun it communicates yes, difficulty it, 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 yeah it's like and also really boring it's like why you know, and it's like to then we end up making choices where it's like, okay, am I eating healthy today or am I not? And it's like, why can't a burger fall under something that's just not going to kill you? If you think about it, it's a bun. If the bun is not made of a bunch of random shit, it can't, it shouldn't be that bad for you. Meat, I mean, there's meat is part of a lot of diets, like red meat, even. You know, if you look at a sauce, I mean, Mayo is a base of eggs, oil, and mustard. It's nothing really that bad for you in a traditional. That's how you make mayo. And then, like, let's say whatever sauce you have, all the ingredients are clean. Shouldn't be that bad for you. What is it? Pickle, onion. There's like, like there's nothing. Sodium, I guess, in the pit. But it's not pickles are not bad for you. I mean, cheese. Like, cheese is actually not bad for you. Depending, I, I'm even lactose intolerant. I know that I can eat a ton of different specific cheeses, like mozzarella. Like, if there's Parmesan cheese, it's not bad for you. Like. There's no reason why burgers should be so bad, but it's also they cook the it's low quality meat with a ton of fat, cooked in butter, processed buns, processed sauces full of sugars, full of preservatives. Like that's why these things are bad for you. So a really juicy, well cooked burger with good ingredients can be technically organic and good for you. It's just the way it's been marketed. Organic, yeah, and I don't want to say good for you like as claiming as a doctor, but it's definitely not horrible for you, right? Like, I mean, everything is well balanced. I mean, you go to, you know, Air One, right? For those who know Air One is in Los Angeles, like they have burgers there. Being done to a certain extent. I mean, so that to me is one of the access points I would say is to, is like this greater mission of like making the world a better place. I think there's something there, but it has to be attractive. It has to be Apple-ified where it's like presented better than just like, 10, like a hundred million, you know, gallons of water get wasted on these cows and this, and then people are like, oh, that sucks, but they're still going to go eat what, you know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not connecting the way it should. So I think that's one of the things I also think that the problem with these brands is that they're, they're not thinking from a brand standpoint of like the why they're doing it. Like, it's just, it's the missions there, but there's no like story. There's no, like people need to find a way to connect and subscribe. They're looking for it. It just needs to be there. I think that's one idea. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moon.
MoonPig.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And we're back. How would you connect those? Well, that's what I'm working on right now. <laughs> okay, so yeah. we won't let you, we won't have you give away your awesome idea, but that's a really great... No, 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 I can, I, I can give it. I'm just saying, I, I think it's just the way to connect them is, is like building a brand that is attractive to people, like a cool brand. Like there's, like, think of what like Liquid Death did for sober culture. Like, that's really unique. Like, well, to, well, yeah, to sober culture, especially that's how they started is because they were like, there's a ton, like, you know, sobriety in punk culture is a big thing. And sobriety in general is becoming more and more of a big, a, a bigger thing. But like, it's the exact example I'm talking about. Like, they didn't go on the technicality. Like, could you, if it was called sober water or not drinking, it would have failed miserably. It's the design, it's the packaging, it's the mission, it's how it makes you feel. It looks fucking cool. And what are they selling? Water. It's water. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like, they managed to find it, and they've done an amazing job with their marketing. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. I can't wait to see what you do with this. I'm I'm really excited about it. I, I that is not me just saying that. I genuinely mean that because I think also there's an aspect of you know pe when people think of eating organic and Erwan and all there's this price tag. It feels like you have to make a certain amount of money to be able to eat clean and eat well. I think that's another aspect to that that I don't know if that's in your idea or not, but that's something that I think holds a lot of people back from even step setting stepping foot into Erwan. Even still, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm trying to save this month. I probably shouldn't even go to Erwan because it's cr crazy expensive and, you know, all of that. So I think there's a lot to that. I know we've kept you for a long time. We've talked about a lot of different things, but I do want to make sure we hit on something really important that I want our listeners to hear about your mentality about taking medication for your anxiety and how you found out it was incorrect and how it didn't really affect your creativity at all. And I know I'm kind of, you know, <laughs> taking us back to where we were before, but I want to make sure we hit this point because I think it's wildly important. Yeah, I mean, I used to think that medication was going to ruin my creativity and I was going to be able to do anything and I was going to become a zombie. And then, you know, I have a therapist who's actually, who was never, it's interesting because my therapist, at first I was like, I don't think medication. And she was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think you, you might not need it. And then things were getting worse and worse. I mean, my therapy was helping a lot, but from the anxiety standpoint, and then she was like, do you want to consider it? And I was like, oh, man, she's like, you got to talk to a psychiatrist. Yeah. I was like, those people are even worse than therapists. <laughs> like I didn't like therapists. Then like, and then she's like, well, I got this great reference to you. And I met this, this lovely lady who's still my psychiatrist who was like, well, let's make sure you need it. And like, and I was just like, no one's trying to sell me anything. Like, it's just, it felt very comfortable. And I answered these questionnaires and stuff. And she was like, look, like, this is going to be a very 
long journey if you decide to do it and all these things. I mean, it's just like, you know, like I, ha- I actually had the worst possible experience to the point where my psychiatrist was like, do you sure you still want to do this? And I was like, I'm not fucking meaning, up. meaning take medication. Yeah. I, so I took, I was on a medication that, so everything is like six weeks to kick in, which is awesome. Cause you're like sitting there like staring and just waiting. Right. It's trial and error when you're first finding what medication works for you. So it's a six week sort of trial period. Yeah. And then this is during the pandemic. So it was like really like, so I was, I, then that one started making me like borderline faint out of nowhere, like dizzy, like drive. Like I was just like, what the fuck is, and I didn't know if it was that at first because it takes so long. So like I started, Whoa. I remember I was like looking to move apartments because it was like during the pandemic, it was probably like August, 2020, July, 2020. So we were like doing masks and stuff, but I was like, I remember I had like a mask on. It was just like, I thought my mask was making, like cutting my oxygen. And I was like, but I've been wearing a mask for like six months. So why would it start doing that now? Like, you know, just like, cause I didn't think it was the medication. Then we ended up taking, I, it was like pretty bad. Then we ended up putting me on the, actually the medication I'm on now, Lexapro, which is amazing. I've been on it for years. But at first when I took it, my body had some sort of reaction where they thought I actually had bipolar disorder and the meds were making it worse. Cause I literally thought I could fly. Like actually it, like I, they got worried where like, they were like, he's going to jump off a building and try to fly. Like it was like very scary. I thought I was invincible. I thought I was like complete. Like I thought I was like God, like it was the whole, whole thing. It's funny now, but so I had that. And then that just stopped. And this is the medication you're on right now. Did they just change the dosage? We don't know what happened, but we don't see. So I thought, yeah, I thought that, and then, you know, I was just like, this is not normal. (laughs) So, but the next, it was like, it lasted like two days. By the time I got on the call with the psychiatrist, it was gone. And then I got hit with like the world's worst depression ever known to man where I didn't care if anyone died. I remember being like, I don't care if everyone dies. Like, Like, I was like watching like the news of COVID. I was just like. I don't give a fuck. Like everyone just, let's just all die. Like it was just like this weird. I was so depressed. And then it, those were off, but my anxiety was still bad. So they had to increase the dosage. And so every time my anxiety would get a little bit better, but keep in mind, I start at 2.5 as a dose. Cause they were like really, and I'm a six foot seven man. So like it's 2.5 like very what? small milligrams. Okay. And I'm a, I'm six, seven. So like a large man. So, so that, it was like a small dose and it affected me that way. And now I'm at 40, I don't know if I'm still say that. I'm at 40 milligrams now. And think about they had to get to this point and every time the dose would increase, I would go through these like, not the not the flying one, but these depressions that I'm thinking everyone was dying for like a week. So my psychiatrist was like, are you sure you wanted? And I was like, I know this is gonna end up working at some point. And it takes six weeks. It took me eight weeks. And then one day I was in the shower and I was thinking there's something that had been bothering me like crazy for like two weeks, like with a friend or something I said, I was like thinking about things I said in 1996, like how it affected my life today, just like typical anxiety shit. And then I was like, I thought about it and I was like, oh, and I just didn't care. I But I was like, holy shit, this is crazy. So like I thought about the thoughts are still there. It's just the spiral that, that gets removed with the medication. And then I realized it was good. 
And then I had a ton of these because then there's, of course, I had like side effects for four months after that. You know, they give you all these crazy side effects that happen. And I got a bunch of them. And yeah. Well, it sounds like it's been it was a huge journey to find the right amount. And I can't even imagine going through that. Also, coupling that with the pandemic in 2020, I can't think of anything more difficult, truly. And I I, but it's interesting because reading your memoir, you do say that you once you found out it was working, you had this moment where you felt like you met yourself for the very first time. Yeah, I I never felt more like myself. Also, funny story for those who are worried about try medication. I recommend medication to a friend. She took it. She took Lexapro. The first night that she took it, it worked perfectly. <laughs> it's not even supposed to kick in that fast. She was like, holy shit, this changed my life. I'm like, like, what the fuck? It, in one day, she was like, it was all solved. So it's, it's not always as complex as, as me. So just to put that out there. But yeah, I mean, I never, I've never felt more like myself, actually. And you still have wild creativity. It didn't affect that at all, actually. Wow. Not at all. That's amazing. So you spent years thinking it might have and then took the plunge, did it. And it's you obviously still have wild, wildly creative thoughts. Are we going to see anything else from you coming up or is there a restaurant rumbling around? Are you done with that? Are you what do you find happiness in currently? Yeah, I mean. You know, I'm going to keep building on this idea of, of even if I set it up for someone else in the future that's like younger and smarter. But like I want to just like keep doing these like very like these different kinds of food concepts. I don't I, restaurants are probably not in the cards for me for a while or if it is, it would be something very weird and different. But I want to like really keep pushing the boundaries for like showing people that like all the things you can do with food that don't have to necessarily do with the food itself, but more like the story and the context around it. So for me, it's continuing to push that over and over again and shove that down people's throats. And then eventually people will start realizing that like shit can be different, you know? So that I would say is, that's everything I'm working on now. One more question for you before we let you go. You know, having experienced success at so many different parts of your life and having had and lived multiple careers and successes, what do you define as success at this point? Oh, I think success is really just what you define it as. I don't think it has a, a metric. Like I used to think it was awards and accolades and like it is a certain extent. Sure. Depends, but it's other humans validating me. I don't know if that's really, you know, necessarily the pure definition of success. Like if you're doing what you love and you're happy, you know, for me, it was like carving my own path. That's success. Whether my path has been like a lot of lows I still tried it and I still am doing it. And despite everything, I'm persevering. So like that's success in its own, you know, way. It's just like, it doesn't, I think the biggest thing to remember for people is like, do not look at money as success mm -hmm. because you're never going to win that battle. Like you really never will. There's still billionaires fighting over the number one spot. Like, and they're in, the hundreds of billions like how do you like that's you're never that's never gonna happen like you're never what do you even if you get to number one you're still not gonna be happy it's not even so a like, game i want to play honestly that's not even yeah that's not what i want for sure it's like points in a game you can always have more points you know what i mean it's just like so i would say staying away from from that you know i mean look if it's like if you can build your own thing 
and make minimum wage, you still built something that is earning you a wage that, or you could be working for someone else. So like that's a huge form of success mm-hmm. if you want to look at it from a monetary standpoint. You know what I mean? It's like that's awesome. Like it doesn't have to be about that. And I think that's the problem a lot of people focus on is they just look at that and they end up making wrong decisions and they think of the short term and they think of cash influx and they don't look at like doing things that are authentic. And I think when you're not authentic, you don't end up building things that can last. I think that's the biggest problem is that you build for the short term and that's not sustainable. Wow. And lastly, you guys, for those listening, Jeremy's book will be linked in our show notes and Falling Upwards is a fantastic memoir. What has been the reaction since you released it to so many of your friends and colleagues who have loved you and had sort of this concept of you in their head that maybe wasn't correct? They're like, holy shit, you can write? And I was like, I guess so. <laughs> it guess is written so. really well. It's great. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I, I worked with an amazing ghostwriter too because when I, t- like if it was just me, the book would be 6,000 pages of how much I fucking talk. So like she was lovely and just was able to help turn my, like a lot of what's written in the book is just my words that she's typed out and then cut down from like 6,000 words. You know what I mean? It's like, I need I need that that structure. That's what my success is purely attributed by have always surrounded myself with in very intelligent strong women. That's like literally what's attributed my success. Actually, I really do believe that. Wow. Well, I'm so grateful to have you. I think you are fascinating. I I really am so happy to have had you on our podcast and to have met you virtually. And I hope to meet you sometime in the future. Thank you for everything and for sharing and getting real with me and with our everyone listening about life because it means a lot when people do that. So thanks. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You know, it's interesting because anxiety is a word you hear a lot. And I think people sometimes can tend to brush it aside because it's talked about so much. But the truth is over 30% of Americans experience clinical anxiety at some point in their lives. So this is something that really does need to be taken seriously. And I really appreciate Jeremy for being so open in his memoir and with us in the interview. And I think sometimes as someone who identifies as male, it can be really difficult to talk about things that are really vulnerable. And I really appreciate him going there with us and just being honest. And I know anxiety is definitely something I felt in my life and it's not always easy to talk about. And so if you are someone who is experiencing anxiety, in his memoir, Jeremy talks about how those who do experience anxiety are actually typically the most creative types of people. So if you are experiencing anxiety, just know you are also wildly creative and be kind to yourself and just know you're not alone, that every one of us experiences it in our life at some point. Well, not every one of us, but most of us. And also just remember there's no right way to be happy and successful. Follow your intuition, do what's right for you, and don't look back. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Directionally Challenged. I know I did. And I hope you learned as much as I did from it. We've got another great one coming for you next week. So until then, take care. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions, hosted by me, Kayla Yule. Produced by Melissa DeMonts and Diamond Imprint Productions. Editing by Diane Kang. Post-production sound by Coco Lawrence. And production assistance by Melanie D. Watson.